You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that familiar music tells us that Howard Parkin is in the studio and it is time to say Fastamai. Good evening, Howard. Welcome to another edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Fastamai, Judith. It's great to be here again. Let's just set the scene because I I went down a while ago to let you into the building and we just got about 20 seconds of live stargazing, didn't we? We did indeed. I managed to point out the planets Mars and Jupiter to you. Even with the lights around us, we could see them clear as anything, which I'll talk about a bit later on. I was going to say we must talk about this because in your new ambassadorial role promoting <laughs> our wonderful dark skies, you've uh, you've been on the news talking about that and about the excessive light pollution. So oh, far too much. Let's come back to that. Okay. I would have thought, actually, that when we're trying to save energy, that one of the first things that we could cut down well, collectively would be, you know, too much light of... Uh, yeah. Illuminating buildings and this kind Couldn't of thing. Couldn't agree more. I mean, the thing that really incenses me is street lighting. We don't need all the street lighting. Um, I think I might have said it last month or certainly said it while I've been giving talks recently. I had to go to the airport a few weeks ago at uh, half past five in the morning to get an early flight. And um, I couldn't believe how much light there is. You know, at five o'clock in the morning, there's that much street lighting around. Now, if we need street lights on the roads, why don't they have them everywhere? But they don't. The minute you get away from Douglas, there's no streetlights. You get the top of Richmond Hill, uh, there's no streetlights hardly. There's one or two. Actually, one of the worst examples of streetlighting in the Isle of Man is on the straight past the Santa Motel there. Uh, I'm going to show me age to have a Santa Motel. They've got these globe lights, which, of course, light up the sky as much as they light up the road. Absolutely ridiculous. But as you say, we astronomers are not against lighting. We're against inappropriate or wasted lighting and there's just far too much of it if we chopped out every other street light or even every third street light we'd save a fortune and we'd save creating all this electricity which of course is something we've got problems with this year because of the uh, the energy crisis well I, I think we have to be careful because as somebody who lives in an area where there is um that there, there isn't light everywhere i think we've got to balance with street lighting i think what we've got to do is balance safety and pedestrian safety and this kind of thing with with but, the amount of light and where we and where we put it but i, I think yeah. I, I i think it's a lot of i see a lot of decorative lighting is how i would describe no. it that we could perhaps well, my argument, we could have a discussion on this alone. Uh, you don't need street lighting anywhere between midnight and 5 a.m. The amount of people who are out that time of night, I mean, fair enough at Christmas time and things like that, when people do go partying and things like that, but don't keep them on all the time on the on the basis that it's, it's purely for safety because it isn't. And when it comes to crime, there's a, it's a known fact that crime uh, lights actually encourage crime, not deter it. This is a very big subject for the Manx sky at night. It is a bit. We, perhaps we better move on to well, something more uh, we, but interesting. We, but, but we do need to talk about about your role uh, as, yeah. as this ambassador for, for the dark skies because that is really, uh, it's interesting because it's taking the Isle of Man onto a bigger stage. It, is, love, it is indeed. And, um, and I'm, I'm hoping to get more and more um, 
involved in this and get into various discussions with different people because I really think I feel passionate not just as an astronomer but I just feel that we're wasting energy and we can do far more than we're doing and now we've got the added problem that the new LED lights we're using everywhere which everyone thinks are wonderful because they're cheaper to use and that yes they're all down lighting and they're bad for the environment because it's all blue light and an intense blue light at that range of electromagnetic spectrum is the wrong sort of lighting it needs to be red it needs to be softer lighting um, so the lights are wrong. So um, that's only been come out in a survey recently, not from me, but from a detailed survey published in the United States in September of this year. I think, you know, being very, very serious about this, Howard, I think you've got a big job to do. Oh, this, is, yeah. this is not a, a decorative role, no, being no, it's not. You know, the ambassador. It, it is really, and, it, and it's a timely role. It is very so timely, very timely with, with the some... situation we've got at the moment. And it, it just it's an awareness of it. it. That's what I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm giving talks. If anyone invites me to give them a talk, I would give them the talk on the dark skies of man, it's called. And I, will, I don't just talk about astronomy. I talk about the, the effect on wildlife and the effect on nature and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And it, it's making people aware of it. And then hopefully that will lead to a public uh, response, maybe, that when we're talking about putting in new streetlights or whatever we're going to do, that we're a bit more mindful of the effect they have on the environment. But I think there is a lot of education because we, I speak for myself, you know, when, when you're putting in some new lighting, you look for what are the most um, cost effective and low energy. You start mm -hmm. off with low energy oh, and, and a good light for whatever the, the room in your house is, whether it's somewhere where you're going to be cooking or somewhere where you're just going to be relaxing, whatever. But we need to see the bigger picture and a lot That's of it is information. Mm. And as, as you just touched briefly there on how it affects wildlife. Oh, yeah. You know, how, how it's... What effect? There's examples I could give. Now isn't the opportunity moment to do it. But there are some terrible examples about the effect of um, too much lighting on wildlife. It's causing all sorts of problems. Mm, yeah. I want one of the first things, and again, we, we've got lots of other things to talk about tonight, but I would have thought that it would be quite easy to disin, disorientate, mm. uh, particularly nocturnal animals and, yeah. and this kind of thing. That would be... The, the classic one, which I'll just mention very briefly, is sea turtles. Sea turtles who are on beaches. Oh, yes. And they, they are attracted to the sea by the light of the moon and the stars on the sea. And, of course, the streetlights and the lights of the hotels and all the places in the Caribbean in particular where this is a problem um, attract them the wrong direction and they get run over, killed, drowned or whatever. Not drowned because it doesn't matter. But, uh, but there's hor horrific pictures of squash sea turtles everywhere um, because these lights on these beaches are just far too intense and they distract the turtles. And that's uh, just one example. And we need to be aware of this before something like the sea turtle become an endangered species exactly. through something like that. Yeah. Big job for you, Howard. <laughs> we haven't got big... too many sea turtles in the Alamo, though. No, but it, it indicates but the, it's, it's the complexity yeah, of it. Yeah, it And presumably you are now part of a team around the world yeah. who've all got their own individual problems. Well, that's it. That's what the Advocacy Network is all about. And that's why I was asked to do it, because they knew I'd, I lived in the Isle of Man. They hadn't got anyone in the Isle of Man. I think there's only three or four people in the British Isles at the moment. Really? Um, but the, the intention is to, obviously... We talk together on the internet and, and via um, video phones yeah, and all the rest. Yeah. And we each learn each other's problems and how we can help each other. Mm. Which, uh, again, <coughs> sharing uh, sharing knowledge and, and expertise mm, exactly. is the way forward. Right. Let's begin with a question, shall <laughs> we? <laughs> You'll go on. And this is from our friends Sue and John Parton, who are in Kings Winford in the West Midlands. I'm oh, just hi there. giving you? you that. I'm just oh. giving you that so you can... This is where we're going for further this one. Further afield, eh? And, uh, yeah, slightly further afield. And um, and uh, John is a scribe tonight, and he says, could you ask Howard, please, where 
where the bright planet in the south through September has moved to now. It seems to have disappeared in the southern sky. Now, no, 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 no. Part of what? You no, you're looking. That's one we saw earlier, Judith. We went outside before, and what you will have seen is the planet Jupiter. And of course, as Jupiter, as the Earth moves on its axis, uh, spinning on its axis, of course, every 24 hours, but it's also moving around the Sun, and Jupiter's moving as well. So what's happened is Jupiter has now moved towards the southern sky and towards the southeastern sky, southwestern sky. Sorry. And you might have noticed, I mean, if you go out tonight, uh, even with all the street lights and all the, we're just talking about street lighting, all the lights around Manx Radio, uh, I could point out clearly the brilliant planet Jupiter and not far from it on the western horizon, just above the western horizon, sorry, eastern horizon, sun, uh, Lake District over that way, it was the brilliant planet Mars. And Mars and Jupiter are dominating the sky because there's nothing particularly bright in these areas of the sky at the moment. And just to add into that, we've also got Saturn, which is um, in the sky low in the west. Now, that is, that is right in the west. So you've got, you've got Saturn, you've got Jupiter, and you've got Mars all in the sky at once at the moment. To be joined in November, late November and early December, with Venus, which is currently gone round the back of the sun. And when that rises in the evening sky in the west, you'll know about it because Venus is very, very bright and unmistakable. And that'll be around uh, mid-December onwards. And Venus as I recall from last year, stays around for a while. Um, about four or five months, and then it'll go around the inside of the Earth and the Sun, and it'll re-emerge in the morning sky. Because of the mechanics and the, the geometry of the solar system, it's a morning star longer than it is an evening star. Um, but we're looking forward to seeing it over Christmas. And I know I'm going to be inundated with questions saying, is that the start of Bethlehem? And it might have been, but that's a tale for another day. A tale for another day. Right, OK, so let's concern ourselves with the Manx sky in the weeks ahead. What are the high points? What are, what are the, the most, uh, given the right conditions? And I have to say that an hour or so ago when we were outside, just briefly, mm. it was beautifully clear. Lovely clear night. It? After the weather we've had today, it's been a beautiful evening now. Yeah, and... Um, and mild, of course, this is what's very much in your mm. favour with these high temperatures, double figures. Yeah, absolutely. We've not got the cold yeah. nights, which we like the cold nights because it usually makes the sky clearer. But hey, I'll take anything if the sky's clear. Uh, I've already mentioned we've got the planets Mars, Jupiter and Saturn visible at the moment. And what's interesting to compare with those three is the brightness. Astronomers use a scale called magnitude, uh, which is an old fashioned term invented by a chap called William Herschel. No, John Herschel is William's son. And uh, he ranked all the stars by order of importance or magnitude. But then they realised they had to use minus quantities. And Jupiter is currently at minus 2.7. For comparison, Saturn much fainter at just plus 0.7. But Mars is going to get brighter and brighter as we go through the next few weeks from minus 1.2 to minus 1.8. Now, those figures won't mean anything to anyone, but they're a logarithmic scale. So a minor change in brightness is a huge difference in visual brightness that we would see, which is why I could point them out so clearly to you tonight when you came to let me in, um, we could see them very, very easily. And those three, as I say, they're dominating the sky at the moment. Uh, Saturn, not so much as it's getting lower in the west. It's um, starting to disappear. Uh, but Jupiter and Mars will be around for a long time. Mars will actually be at opposition, which is exactly opposite the uh, the sun in the sky, on December the 8th. So we'll probably talk about that next month. But um, it's going to be really exciting when we get to um, December, mid-December onwards, because we're going to have four of the big naked eye planets all visible at once. And that will be quite spectacular. They will literally be in a line chasing across the sky. You'll have Venus at the bottom with Saturn a little bit up, then Jupiter, then Mars. And that's the path that the Moon and the Sun and the planets all travel along. It's called the ecliptic. 
and that's the path you'll see of it. That's where we saw the eclipse. We saw an eclipse on Tuesday morning, and um, that was because the moon went in front of the sun. So these lines we draw in the sky, sometimes people think, what's he talking about? But you do get to realise that this path across the sky, the pathway of the planets, is, is fascinating. And it, it religiously go across the sky, and you can predict the positions for years. I'm in the process of putting together the 2023 uh, Night Sky Guide, which we'll be talking about probably in December. And that'll be available then for readers, uh, listeners, sorry. And um, it's just fascinating realising how... This time next year, the whole sky will be totally different. Having said that, Jupiter and Saturn will still be there because they're roughly in the same position um, for about, well, a number of years. They stay roughly in the same position, but slowly draw apart. But Mars, poor Mars, won't be visible at all this time next year. Mars will be around the other side of the sun. And so we won't see Mars next year, but make the best of it this year. And it's so red. It's so brilliantly red when you look at it. It's, uh, it's quite unmistakable. But whilst we might not be able to see Mars, we'll be talking about it a lot. There's an awful oh, yeah. lot going on oh, around Mars. Mars isn't there? There's just been an announcement today. I know we do the space stories later, but they've, they've got this spacecraft on Mars called InSight. It's got a seismometer on board. And um, they've just detected an earthquake. And, sorry, not an earthquake, a meteor hitting Mars. And they've managed to photograph it before and after. Not the actual hitting of it, but another spacecraft knew where this was from the work of the InSight lander and was able to photograph this bit of Martian desert, if you like, and all of a sudden there's a big hole there, a big crater. And um, they're saying this is they're so fortunate to get it because this little probe InSight is dying, sadly. It's been on Mars for a few years now, and the solar panels are getting covered with the dust from Mars and they're, they're reducing the amount of electricity they can generate. And uh, unless there's a wind which can happen and blow the solar panels clear, or at least partially clear, uh, it eventually is going to pack up. And they've managed to get this recording literally weeks before it probably packs up. So that's a very fortuitous and just one of the many stories that keeps coming out of Mars at the moment. Well, in actual fact, I did spot that story myself. And it's whenever I read something like that, it's just the idea that they can see what is going on. Yeah. All, all this in, in another world miles away. And miles and miles away, yeah. Yes, yeah. It's incredible. I know that, that what we're really doing here is talking about what's coming in the next weeks. And there's, there's lots of other interesting things for us to talk about. But just looking back over these last weeks since you were last in the studio, anything particularly exciting that you've seen in the sky over the last Well, the most weeks? exciting thing had to be last Tuesday, the um, partial solar eclipse. Uh, we had an eclipse breakfast down at the Sound. And for those who know, I've been doing the eclipse breakfast at the Sound. Every time there's a partial eclipse, and it just happens to have been the last three, have all been sort of 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was perfect to arrange to have an eclipse breakfast, have a chat, and then look at it. The last two in last year and two years before that were all cloudy. But this one on Tuesday was brilliant. We got to see it. Um, everyone had solar glasses, which we provided for them, which I managed to get. Uh, I had a solar telescope from the Astronomical Society, which I was using. And so we all looked at the sun through the telescope. And there were some big prominences on the sun, which I said to somebody, you can see what looks like a flame. It's not a flame. It's just plasma being erupted from the solar surface. And when I said to them that that flame is probably about four times the diameter of our Earth, it sort of brings people into perspective, makes them realise the power and the majesty that is the sun. Indeed, yeah. That was a, that was a real plus to see that, and uh, mm. I was very excited, and excited it, to see it. This is what you say about, you know, when you organise these events, whether it's down at the sound, whether it's it's a, a pie in the sky or whatever or it is, it's always worth giving it a go because you oh, yeah. might get the very best experience well, if we, the weather we, is just right. We did. At the end of September, we had a brilliant pie in the sky. It was brilliant up there. It was a bit like tonight. There was no wind. It was crystal clear, and we saw everything you could see. 
We did another one last Friday, two days ago, and my my colleague up there in the Astronomical Society came in and said, the weather is bleak, and that was an understatement. You couldn't see a hand in front of your face, but hey, that's the, you, you, you take your chances. And, uh, but when we do get a clear night, it, it's unbelievable. This is why when you came to get me tonight, I pulled you outside straight away, because at least we can truthfully say we've been stargazing together now, Judith. Indeed we have. Indeed, you have to, you do have to grab the moment. Oh, too and, right. And it was, it was a very good preparation for the programme. OK, right. Meteor showers. We like meteor showers. What yeah. We, now, anything to look forward to? Well, there's four meteor showers between now and the end of the year. One of them, the Geminids in mid-December, will be spectacular. It always is, and it will be because there's no moon around this year. Um, the t- Ursids at the end of December will be okay-ish. Then we've got two others which might be good and might not be good. The first of those is the Taurid meter shower, which peaks... There's two actual showers that come from the Taurus constellation, one on the 1st and one on the 6th. And there's an actual prediction that the comet that left this debris, which the Earth is now going to be passing through, uh, has left some clumps of material, for want of a better word. And there's a speculation there might be some very bright fireballs from the area of Taurus. Um, literally in the next few days. So it's worth keeping your eyes peeled. And if you want to know where Taurus is, just find Mars. Just find that big red planet we were looking at before because Mars is right in the middle of Taurus at the moment. So look towards the eastern sky, probably after midnight, but give it a go because there's a prediction there could possibly be some fireballs coming from the Taurus shower in the next few days. And it won't just be uh, one day. It'll be over a period of about a week. So we've got plenty of time to look for it. Mm. That's the Taurid meteor shower. And then we've got the enigmatic, I think is the word, the Leonid meteor shower. Because the Leonid meteor shower was the one that I first discovered or knew about back in 1966 when they predicted a meteor storm um, over the British Isles. And um, we didn't see anything. Uh, I saw my dad took me up to this big field in Liverpool. I used to live. Holtz Field, if you know it, Judith. And um, we um, we saw three faint meteors. That was all we saw. I learnt the very next day um, that the meteor storm did occur, and it occurred over Arizona in the United States. And I've been speaking to people, consequently, who've seen that shower and remember it vividly because it was so dramatic. And there's always the possibility that the Leonids might be spectacular. It's unlikely, but you never know, so you've got to keep looking. This is, you never know. This is a really stupid question, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it. Go on. A fireball is the stuff of, uh, well, to me, sort of comic stories, you know, and, and here comes a no. fireball. And, but what will it look like? Will it literally be something with, with flames? No, no, it'll be a very bright meteor. Um, we have meteors which literally are flashes of light, literally a star shooting across the sky is what a meteor is. A fireball is one we have a, a noted nucleus and that streaks across the sky, and usually there's quite a big trail, because what you're looking at, a normal meteor is probably the size of a small stone or a piece of sand even. A fireball is made up of a much bigger clump, like a grapefruit size or an orange-sized piece of material. Then we get bolides, and bolides are even bigger. They are the ones that really um, are impressive, and you don't see them very rarely. And again, you see, we talk about Mars. This all links together. We don't plan this show, do we, listeners? We do, really. <laughs> we do. Um, because we, do. we tra- don't plan. We plan the show, Howard. What we don't plan is the sky. There's a sky. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we talked about Mars, and Mars had this meteor hit Mars surface the other day. And um, it's fascinating to learn about that. It doesn't happen on Earth because we've got a much thicker atmosphere. And what happens to all these things burn up in our atmosphere. So that's why we see the meteors and the fireballs and the bolides, because they're burning up in our atmosphere. Occasionally some get through, and we had that meteor in 2015 at Chelyabinsk in Russia. 
and that one was a big one that actually exploded just above um, this town of Chelyabinsk. And interestingly enough, that latitude of that particular place is the same as us. It's 54 degrees north. So if the Earth it had been turned a fraction more, it might have been over our skies in the Isle of Man. The fact of the matter is, Howard, is that we only see a, a minute oh, of snapshot of what's going on. And there's this just massive activity. And, and this is the picture that you paint for us. Yeah. This massive activity that's going on. Would you like is... to collect a bit of meteorite? Would you like a piece of meteorite? It's dead there, easy to get to this. Is there no, a there's catch no catch to this? All you've got to do is get a magnet. Now, this is one you can try at home. Go on. Get a magnet. Yes. And hopefully you've got a low roof with a gutter on. Yes. Just pass your magnet through the debris in the gutters. Yes. And anything that sticks to it as it's magnetic will 99.9% certain be a meteoric fragment. Because most of the meteors that impact the Earth's atmosphere are iron. Uh, there's stony meteors and there's iron meteors, but the iron ones, of course, are magnetic. And if you just pass it, you're looking at you're not even grains of sand, tiny, tiny metal fragments that you wouldn't even know they were metal, but they'll be picked up in your magnet. Right. So there you go. So you can well, try that one at home, but don't climb up a ladder and get on the roof. Make sure um, you get someone to do it for you. I'm saying to any kids that might be listening off. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll leave that one with me. At the, at the moment, most of the things living in, in the gutters around my place are, are leaves. Yes, but yes. it's that time of the year. Now, we've got, a dear listener, we have a new arrangement which involves me choosing the music. Right. And it's time for our music break. I have to tell you that Howard is looking puzzled. He can't get the connection to the sky. He will in a minute, though. It's Shawadi Wadi.
There we are. It did have moon in the title, didn't yeah, it? Did. I'll give you that, Judy. It did have moon in the title. <laughs> I have so to say, he looked, he, looked a bit, <laughs> he looked a bit despairing when he started. <laughs> right, OK. Let's, uh, let's first of all see what's happening in space that we need to know about. Well, lots of exciting things happening, as there seems to be every month. We talk about these things now. There's all sorts of things going on. The Artemis mission, and this one annoys me because everyone says, oh, they didn't launch it, it failed. It didn't fail. They wheeled it back into the um, vehicle assembly building because of the storm, Storm Ian, if you recall. Anyway, it's now been announced that they're going to roll it back out to the pad on the 4th of November next Friday, and it's going to be launched a week on the 14th, whatever that is, a week on Monday, I think it is. So that's something to look out for. And if it doesn't go then, there's a few opportunities between now and Christmas or indeed after that, so it will be quite exciting. When it does go, we'll know about it because it will be quite spectacular. But one thing I do want to talk about is the James Webb Telescope, which obviously is in the news all the time now. They're producing fantastic images of this. Now, lots of listeners will have heard or seen the pictures of the Eagle Nebula by the Hubble Space Telescope. It's like three fingers of gas and dust in space. It looks literally like three fingers just pointing upwards. And each of those columns of dust and gas is a, is a light year tall. Now the new James Webb telescope, looking in slightly different wavelengths in infrared, is looking at the same feature, but they're transparent because of the way they're looking at them with this different way, uh, using infrared light. And they're actually in the process of seeing stars being born. They're actually seeing the birth of stars taking place within these clouds, which are about 16,000 light years away. And it's just incredible to have the iconic Hubble picture now looked at by James Webb and it's finding out so much more information. It's just a, a fraction of the work that James Webb is doing and it really is paying dividends already and uh, I can't wait to see more and more images coming from it. There's a lovely little film you can find. If you go on YouTube, you can find a little film about this comparing the images from James Webb and Hubble and it's fascinating. Recommend it to anybody. You know, that is the thing that so much of this is so well documented and beautiful photography. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that anything that you mention that anybody thinks, I'd like to know some more about that. It is so easy to do. If you is. have access to the internet, you can put in the slightest thing that you'll search yeah. for will get you on the right trail for it. Yeah. What, what I have found with NASA stuff, though, is go to nasa.gov, nasa.gov website or email address, uh, website, and then select the mission, like Hubble or James Webb or whatever. If you go onto these other websites, they, they, they send you in all sorts of directions. They don't quite always give you what you want. So go to the source. Go to where it's being provided for by, by the NASA people. It's also the European Space Agency do it as well. In fact, this particular film I'm talking about is a European Space Agency film. But uh, it's just breathtaking, really is. And so much of it. It's not like once a year we'll get an announcement. It's just the stories are you know, coming keep, and coming. They keep, and keep rolling them out. Yeah, I suppose that they. Um, it's a great way of keeping people engaged with it. Oh, very much so. And I think the Hubble in particular did an awful lot for promoting astronomy as a subject. And now the James Webb has taken over the mantle of doing that as well. And now we learn that there's a possibility they might do a service mission to the James Webb. It's being discussed or a uh, possibility of it. Um, we may extend the life of that and the two will work in tandem for some years to come. So that would be fantastic. That would be brilliant. But coming closer to home, and it's not it's not directly space-related, but you are really quite excited about new developments at the observatory here on the island. Yes, I am indeed, because we had a problem at the observatory. We've, had, we've all had the problems of COVID. And um, 
we all know what happened with that. We couldn't go places. Uh, then we had a technical problem at the observatory, which caused all sorts of problems, and we had to close it for about three months while we fixed it. But now we fixed it. And now what we're doing now is we're going to start promoting the observatory and promoting membership of the Astronomical Society to the general public in the Isle of Man. We'd, we'd love to see people coming along to join us. And we've invited a gentleman over by the name of Professor Brad Gibson, and he's from Hull University. He's the head of astrophysics and the... the head of physics and astrophysics and uh, he's a fantastic bloke and he really does an amusing but very intellectual uh, sort of interesting talk and he's coming over on friday the 18th of november so we're having we're throwing that open to the public and um, we've advertised or we're going to advertise it from the 1st of november on eventbrite so go to eventbrite.co.uk look for um 10 wonders of the universe or out of man astronomical society just search for it you'll find it and um Tickets are £15 because we've got a cost to incur, incur for that. And um, we're hoping to get a lot of people up there. There'll be a chance to have a look at the observatory, a chance to have a cup of tea and listen to one of the world leaders in astrophysics who we're delighted is joining us. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing his talk very much indeed. And um, as I say, anyone's more than welcome. It's not open to members only. It's open to the general public. Uh, we've got to charge a ticket price, as I've already said. And tickets are going live after, I think it's midnight on the... Um, 1st of November, that was the logical time to do it. And uh, there's about 40, 45 tickets available. But don't despair if you don't get one of those because we're going to have another open night on the 6th of January. But that will not be advertised yet. We will not be putting that live until probably beginning of December. So just watch the um, website. And um, if people are interested, we're going to do one at the beginning of January, hopefully one at the beginning of February, and then possibly March and April as well. If if you want to keep up to date with watching with with what is being offered at the observatory. What's the best way to do it? How do, I mean, suppose somebody says, well, I can't come in January, but I'd love to know when the date is in February. Look on our website, iomanastronomy.org, iomastronomy.org. Iomastronomy.org. That's our website address. Have you got a Facebook presence? Are you there? Yes, we have got an Alaman Astronomy. We've got two. We've got a members-only one, and we've also got a public one as well. And so the public one on would Facebook, be... I think they're both IOM Astronomy. Yeah. One's so... IOM Astronomy members-only, one's IOM, IOM Astronomy. Yeah, so that's facebook.com forward slash IOM Astronomy. And because Um, a lot of people like to keep up to date on Facebook and see what's what's going on. And if you've got a regular programme of events, then you, I'm I'm assuming that you're wanting to kind of build partnerships with people. So it it becomes something that, that people are more engaged with, which... It's uh, there has been. I'm probably wrong in this, but there has been a bit of a perception that it's a members-only club. That's certainly no, how I I wonder. I mean, yes, we want people to join, but what we've always said is that people want to know what we do. Come along to one of our meetings. We meet on the first Thursday of every single month, uh, regardless TT or whatever. And uh, we say to anybody who wants to come along, come along. There's a nominal fee of four pound to join. Uh, so just to come for that night. Um, see if you like what we're doing. Have a chat with us. See what the programs are. See what we're doing. And don't come again if you don't like it, fair enough. But if you do like it, we'd obviously like you to join and uh, hopefully we'll um, be able to let you look through the telescope at the various features in the night sky, the nebulas, the clusters, the planets and all the rest of the stuff because you see so much more with the telescope. Yes, we've got to have clear weather, but we've got a very comfortable club room up there. It's very comfortable. It's warm. It's centrally heated. Um, the only problem is getting out of the nice warm room back to your car if it's a horrible night. But... Um, 
that's the price you pay for having an observatory on top of a hill. But that's the same for any observatory. Well, it's kind of where the observatory has to be. Of course. And, but, but certainly to have um, that opened up more and, and offering a lot more to the public has got to be just another it's got, enhancement. It's got to be. And and, uh, yeah. I, I welcome it and I hope that it, we get the necessary response to build on that and uh, yeah. we can attract people from all walks of life to learn more about the wonders of the night sky. We have been absolutely and totally beaten by the clock. We're a minute over in actual fact. (laughs) But so much interesting stuff to talk about. Howard Parkin, thank you very much indeed for joining us in the studio. And Howard, we wish you well, you and all your colleagues up at the observatory. And we look forward to welcoming you back in the studio on the final Sunday of the month of November. Look forward to it, Judith. Good night, Faster Mai. 